Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Ryan Keeling and I'm the editor at Resident Advisor. It's safe to say that John Tejada was in his element when we sat down to chat with him at this year's Mutech in Montreal. The festival's focus on live electronic music is something Tejada, who's been playing live since 1994, can easily identify with. Since starting out, he's developed a reputation as a meticulous producer who thinks deeply about his craft, both in the live arena and in the studio. His approach has yielded around 20 albums over the years, with his most recent full-length seeing release on German label Compact. Both Tejada's working methods and the dance music album format were key topics of conversation as RA's Andrew Rice chatted to him at the festival earlier this month. festival that's more focused on arts and visual arts and um, all of the above and just less uh, more on an independent scale and just you know you, you to go to a festival and, and see so many of your favorite acts on the lineup is pretty exciting and to like be a part of that pretty cool this is your first time playing Mutech right yep I did do one in um, Tijuana which is Mutech related a few years ago but that's the only one um, and you played last night, and I understand the set that you did last night is a new one. Uh, what what's new about it? Um, I was uh, I went back to just using hardware machines, and it's a pretty small setup of um, Electron, Octatrack, and Analog Four. Uh, the Octatrack is a sort of a phrase sampler, and the Analog Four is a four part, um, four independent mono synths uh, that are analog uh, mostly, and um, it's kind of limiting in a way, and I think my brain just kind of functions better that way in a live performance setting. Where um, I've never gotten good with like um, controlleris controllerism and um, and Ableton and all that. It just it's too kind of limitless, and I, I don't quite know where to set the parameters for myself. And um, I kind of enjoy not having like the glow of a laptop in my face and stuff. So I like to have kind of limited instruments, and if I'm kind of closer to home, bring stuff like a 909 or SH-101 type simple things into the picture because you can just kind of on the fly start um, putting things into them and it's all kind of idiot proof you know you can just even if you make a mistake it's not that big a deal so it's just kind of more fun to um, perform that way and um, the set really does kind of from the beginning of a tour to the end it really does kind of mutate in a big way um, and things you kind of make up on the spot are still kind of stored in the machine and 
it just sort of keeps adding and adding and adding. And then after about four or five gigs, you really kind of have a whole different thing going, which is a lot of fun. Um, and just more fun for me, um, being sort of uh, forced to really make sure I'm not going to make a mistake instead of kind of just, you know, being on autopilot. So is there a lot of rehearsal for these things or is it just kind of on the fly? Yeah, it actually took me um, way longer than I thought it would and that was slightly challenging but also a lot of fun. I was doing um, live hardware sets in a similar way with some of Electron's older instruments and um, added mono synth around 2006 and I would also do a tour with um, Justin Maxwell who I work with and Aaron Leviste as well and we would kind of do the same thing. We would just sync up like as many boxes we can um, carry on and that was the most fun I ever had but when I was doing them on my own it just kind of got to be too complex and slightly too limiting um, as far as what I was trying to do with it so um, because of the uh, possibilities and the new instruments it, there's a little bit more room in there for me to set things up properly so it was really comfortable um, it was the first time I tried it and I think I'm gonna be doing it and expanding on it for like the rest of the year. So with this set you're working with now, is it based on your the songs you've already written or is it kind of improvised? It's, um, it's a combination of both. Um, the kind of really fun thing about it is uh, I end up coming up with new works um, literally kind of on accident. Um, I want to fill it with some new things but I don't have any really high hopes for them so it's kind of a fun way of writing because sometimes at the end of it in this case, there's two things I really would like to properly record when I get home, and that's, um, it's kind of fun. It's kind of like throwing paint on a canvas or something, and um, it actually coming out cool. Out of the 12 sort of songs in there, um, eight of them are from previous works, and, and what I did, instead of just grabbing chunks of audio, like uh, longer stems, is I would take individual hits or uh, in the case of mono melodies, I would recreate them on the Analog 4, and I would actually enjoy the fact that they ended up coming out a little bit different, so it kind of had an updated feel, like it's maybe familiar, but you kind of know it's different. And then for the um, more complex timbres, I would, instead of just looping a phrase, I would um, take just individual pieces and then sort of replay it on the, you know, sort of MPC-style melody stuff. So everything was kind of like rebuilt from the ground up and I actually ended up finding some um, some old parts on um, a drive I thought had gone and it like still booted up so I found some stuff I actually like never got to play live before and it was pretty fun. How do you handle having all that equipment in front of you on, on like a small stage in a dark club? Do you ever like look down and be like, like oh shit I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> Yeah totally um, it makes a difference like in my home setup I've got it in a rack so I see um, I see them one on top of each other, and I was going to bring this portable thing like that that a friend was offering, and I, I didn't get it. So then when I was testing um, in the hotel room, I was kind of testing out how it was going to go, and um, I had to make a decision like, okay, one goes to the left, one goes to the right. And I thought, okay, this is comfortable, but I didn't realize at soundcheck I had flipped them around. So then when I got up to play, and I was like, ah, this is really different, but, you know, it's just, like, little things like that, and actually, um, at one key moment when I really felt good about myself, instead of hitting, like, track two, I hit the stop button, and it was, uh, 
Yeah, but that's the kind of cool thing too. Like, um, like one machine is still kind of playing, so like, um, it's kind of fun to have little accidents because people might recognize, like, you know, oh, you messed up. Oh, but he's really doing something, you know. So that's cool. And um, keeping the gear kind of small helps with that whole factor, um, and to keep it a bit limited. But I mean, between those two machines, I've got quite a lot of capability to play back samples or f longer stems in some cases, and then for uh, very good sounding um, analog monosynths. So I think if I can't do it live um, with that much, then you know, I feel like I'm kind of doing something wrong. Like it, it would be nice and flashy to bring tons of stuff. And, and in some cases, like you know, getting closer to home, if I can drive, like I'm probably gonna try to add some things to it. But um, again, then it just gets too complicated. Like already, like with both hands, I'm constantly changing little um, parameters and things, so. And so do you find it hard to travel with your hardware set, like as it is now, or? No, that's the thing, I I, um, I get like ultra paranoid about checking in gear, so it, the whole idea is like being able to carry it on. And um, for the most part, I have it figured out. There are a couple airlines that will try to weigh your baggage, and that's when like arguments ensue, and that's, I'm a little bit worried about that. So I might try to build, um, a little foamy thing that if it gets taken away, the machines won't be destroyed, you know. Little things we, we worry about, <laughs> or I worry about more than my friends, I think, I don't know. Just, I can't afford to buy another two pieces of, you know, if they get smashed, so. Has that happened a lot to you? No, because I'm always too afraid to check them, so I'm always like, for I don't know how many years, like everything has to be like with me, with me. I think, even with records, I've barely checked in records, and um. The one time, the first time I did, I remember like, oh, yeah, please put fragile stickers all over that. And I realized that's kind of like a dare to the baggage throwers because they were just kind of like, oh, yeah, we'll show you fragile. And I got it back and like, it was like broken R2-D2, like just the, the wheels had been like shattered off and the handle just bent, you know. And then after that, I've never put a fragile sticker on ever again and I've never had a problem, you know. So um, that's the lesson for today. Like, uh, don't put fragile stickers on your luggage. Um, so, I mean, obviously, live electronic music has been around for a long time, but I feel like the past few years it's really gained a sort of currency, especially for DJs trying to make a bigger name for themselves or make themselves a bigger attraction. Uh, when did you first start playing live? Uh, my first live gig, um, I guess, was like in 1994. Uh, obviously, it was a hardware set. We didn't have laptop um, instruments and, and that sort of thing. Um, but that, that's always been kind of like my main interest, and um, that gets me really excited to try to like recreate my own stuff in a different way in a simpler way and like just see how fun I can make that for like myself and the audience did you feel a bit like a, a bit of an outsider playing live in 94 no I, I um I mean I was definitely a noob but um it just seemed really exciting to me and there was a um a live um live electronic performance club which I ended up being involved with a bit um, called Public Space, but it was a weekly thing just based on live electronic performance, and it was like $2 to get in, you know, which they still have like fond memories of, because still like um, you don't see that too often, so I think that kind of got my juices flowing as far as like the idea of trying to play live, because um, it just seems um, like if you make music, that's how you perform, and, and I think a lot of times um, we just kind of get thrown into DJing and some and, and that's I mean I did grow up on that as well but it's it's always kind of like um, 
you kind of know which gigs are going to be exciting where they just want to see how, like, oh, well, how long is your live set, you know? Oh, well, how long can you DJ for? It's like, well, can you just DJ? And it's like, well, I'm just going to play the same stuff your opener is going to play or, you know, that, that can happen. So um, that's how you can kind of gauge, like, what's going to be a fun gig um, where, like, people are interested in actual, like, the kind of art you're trying to create and stuff. Do you ever feel like the fact that it's a, a live set, even though it is, like, quite dance-oriented, that people might not be as interested or excited about it? Yeah, I had, uh, I had a lot of experience with that last year, so I'm pretty used to it. Um, I kind of, um, I, I put all my energy in the last couple of years into the, the two albums I made for Compact, and um, I think trying to be as honest as I can be as a artist or whatever, um, I like to sort of give a grander idea of, like, you know, everything from beatless pieces to kind of clubby pieces and everything in between and um, in my ideal performance situation like here for instance you, you can kind of do whatever you want to do artistically creatively but if you're on between two DJs that are just kind of banging it and you're shoved in a DJ booth like I'm more than happy to do that I feel really lucky to do that but you know sometimes if you get 10 of those in a row you just start feeling like uh, nobody nobody wants to hear this you know um, so the the previous live set was um, more album based and and it worked some places and some places just didn't really work at all. So um, I think this new one has the idea that like it's easier to change and combine things in a in a different way. So like if I wanted to have it be more of a listening thing, kind of I can just kind of have a completely different rhythm section for the night or something to that uh, extent as an example or have it have there be another whole bank set of um this sort of club club remix style you know so that's why i'm kind of uh happy to have put this new set together is the new setup are, are in it are you free enough to like change direction mid set if you had to if things weren't going the way you wanted them to yeah it's still kind of a work in progress i mean i am limited to what i prepare but um i think um having two versions of things is, is quite possible and being able to add to them or subtract to them on the fly where like I'm just not that good at that using a computer. How many live setups have you gone through over the years? Um, I don't know how to answer that. Quite a few I think. You know there's like different incarnations of trying to use a laptop, different incarnations of like doing hardware. Like at first it was kind of like an ASR10 Juno 60, Innovation Base Station, uh, like a rack of effects, a little mixer, and then it went to kind of like MPC, EMU 6400, Ultra on top of each other with like a, I had like a Nord Micromodular for like effects. And then the sort of early days of Ableton on like a, those first little white iBooks, I think they were, and then um, different computers and controllers, and then computer and, and um, adding a synth and then just going back to trying to do stuff with just the uh, machine drum and the mono machine with mono synth for a while and doing that stuff with um, friends that I mentioned. And then going back to computer and one of the machines maybe or something just to have best of both worlds and then now it's kind of back to like just machines because I feel the, the new machines have kind of slightly more developed and give me a little more freedom where I was to load samples into the machine drum is really fun. It's kind of very vintage legacy. It's kind of like using SB12, but then after a while you just, you know, you, you go back to like, I don't know, 
if anybody used to remember this, but I remember like you used to have no sample time, so you'd fly your records or whatever you're sampling at 45 plus eight into your sampler, and then you'd have to like pitch it down, and you get all this like crazy aliasing, which is like the really great gritty sound of like old Bomb Squad productions or any of that stuff. So um, that was kind of fun. And then after a while, you were just kind of like, oh, I just want a little bit of memory, you know? So the um, the new machines are good for that. And then instead of having like a digital emulation of a synth to have um, analog components is, is really kind of sounding good on a PA. Um, and you mentioned earlier how your previous live set was based on your last Compact album. Um, and the Compact's connection has been a relatively recent one in your career. Uh, how did that come about? Um, it was about it was a little over two years ago, and I, I finished what was uh, the Parabolas album, and I had the name and everything. And um, long story short, the plan I had to um, what I wanted to do with that wasn't going to work out, and um, I really wasn't sure if I wanted to work or who to work with. And um, I had the, the small idea of Compact in my mind before, just because like um, they are one of the few labels that. Um, like I've, I've, work, I've worked with other labels and usually there was no interest if it wasn't going to be the same thing which kind of like maybe did okay for them you know it's like well yeah there's like ambient things and blah, you know and with Compact it's kind of the opposite when I turned in the last one the predicting machine and there was no ambient piece they actually were like oh it'd be really cool if there you know it's like that's cool because like who would um, you know at least in my experience I, I'm not used to that that somebody would ask for a bigger variety than I felt I already had um, presented to them. So um, I was just kind of like out of ideas and um, Jimmy Tamborello is a good friend of mine. I work with him on like James Figurine and and all his little projects and um, and uh, he kind of heard it and I was just kind of like trying to figure out the plan with him and he's like, why don't you give it to Compact? And I was like, oh, that's a really good idea. And then I remembered I had actually done a remix for them and the experience was really pleasant so I just kind of hit up Michael and and I didn't hit up anybody else, and um, luckily he really liked it. So it's been really cool from that point on, and um, yeah, so far so good. So since the first Compact album, um, you've released a few things. Have you approached those releases differently uh, when you're making them because they're going to be on Compacts? No, not at all. And I think the thing that bums me out is the last album, Predicting Machine, like the thing that ended up being kind of the tagline was like, oh, he made it with Compact in mind. So like. I think some people were like, oh, you changed it all up. But um, what all that meant was like, I knew somebody was going to do a good job with it and I didn't have to worry about that part, you know, and that's all that really meant. Um, the only thing that I do keep in mind is I can actually sort of express myself a bit freely, like I don't have to do certain things. I mean, I actually might have to do ambient tracks, which is cool with me. Um, but yeah, it's it's just nice to be able to like make music and not worry about it so much. Was there any concept or theme behind the predicting machine? Um, that one just kind of like, I wanted it to pick up where Parabolas left off, and um, where Parabolas actually had a little bit of a concept in mind, even though the image on the cover, I'm aware, is not a parabola, but uh, my designer just thought, like, he's like, I'm not going to just put a parabola shape on the cover. So um, that was all about, like, just kind of noticing that. Um, that shape occurs in nature, and I was getting really kind of hippy dippy with that whole thought. And um, but that was fun. So with the predicting machine, actually, the title came from my collaborator Justin Maxwell, and I thank him for that. And um, but it was just kind of like musically was to maybe like continue where Parabola's left off, but try to ex at least from my own personal view on it, like expand 
slightly, even to a larger ex extent, than um, parabolas did. Expand what? Uh, just the sort of range of um, the range of moods and ideas on that, and and I had um, experimented with some little studio techniques, so I found some things that worked really neat, and I wanted to like. I think most of the songs are based on a little kind of nerd out that I was having with my equipment and seeing if I could make that into a, a proper song. Obviously, you, you released, I think, 10 albums. Is that, is that correct? Um, kind of. I, I, I don't know, because uh, uh, there's some I've done a, but on my own. I've done some with Aaron Leviste, and, um, and I have, I'm Not a Gun albums. And, um, so you've released a lot I, of albums. Yeah, I think I'll, with all that stuff, it's, maybe it's nearing 20, possibly. Um, and you feel like the album is kind of a legitimate form for the for dance music? Um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm not the right person to ask. I really have always enjoyed the album format because, like, growing up, you just... It was all about, like, oh, so-and-so's new album was coming out, and you took it home, and you stared at the liner notes, you know, or, you, or I stared at Neil Peart's drum set, you know, for, like, two hours while I'm playing the the new Rush album over and over or something. So like just the album format was just kind of magical and and it was nice to be able to be taken away for a while instead of like just focus on a peak energetic moment over and over. Um, of course they do have like, there's a magic of, of the single where some things kind of work magically as a single and they stand on their own. And then when they actually do get incorporated in an album, they sort of stick out as like a sore thumb, you know? Um, so that's actually maybe the idea of like, the single that Compact just released that I did uh, called Somewhere, um, which is me kind of trying to focus in on on that type of feeling, if that's the right word. You know, just something that can stand on its own and would be maybe slightly out of place on a on a full length, at least in like in my view of how that all works. So when you're working an album, you really sit down and think, okay, this is going to be an album, and you make everything with the knowledge that it's going to release as a full length? Uh, for, for myself, um, it generally always happens on accident. Like I'll be um, in between sort of like imaginary projects in my head that I'm supposed to be doing. And I'll get in this mode of like, I'm just going to do this for fun now. And I mean, mostly it's always for fun, but like it really just feels like very kind of open. And then I think when I reach the point where I have four things that I sort of didn't expect to have, then I kind of um, decide that like I'm gonna try to make this, elaborate on this and, and make more tracks and, and try to keep a theme and um, expand that to like a full length idea. So are you pretty much just always making music while you're home? Um, it's always, uh, there's a lot of music related projects, like a lot of kind of music work or remixes or, um, a lot of times, a lot of my good friends, I work on music with them, and it's kind of like our way of hanging out. So it's like, um, yeah, come by, we'll get some food, and we'll just fire up some machines. So like a lot of the songs come out of that. And I think for me, for it to kind of feel right, it kind of has to still, especially like my own stuff, um, just kind of has to come out of free time and not like forceful everyday stuff. Like the forceful stuff is like, the kind of, I don't know, the busy work, paying the bill stuff, and um, and then there's like other things to take care of too, but um, that's just always been uh, 
my kind of escape and my fun time to like go and be creative and just kind of have that that going. So if that ever kind of felt like a have to or a businessy thing, then it wouldn't be as fun, I guess. What's your home studio like? Um, it's just kind of a modest little bedroom setup. Um, I've got um, I've got an iMac at its at its core, and um, I try to move things back and forth so that I don't have like tons of things in front of me. So I kind of change the setup. But at the moment, I've got like a Eurorack setup, um, like four rows of that with a Swayman S1 at the top, which is also like a great CV to MIDI um, utility. And um, I've got um, I've got a Roland SH7 that I'm really excited about. And um, like Studio Electronics Code for Voice and uh, Moog, Voyager, and Subfatty and Minotaur. Although um, my friend's got the Voyager and um, the two new Electron boxes. I've got this um, little synth by a German company called LL Electronics called the Rocksbox, which is pretty exciting. And it kind of went out of production immediately after he um, shipped it because he's sort of. I might have the story wrong, but it just—it seemed to be too big of a task to keep up all the um, support and everything. And uh, a lot of the units shipped. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Some shipped with little problems. Um, and he just—he couldn't. He was a one-man operation. But it, it's the the first synth that I kind of have ever owned. Where if I make a cool sound on it. it I don't know if this sounds good to anybody else, but it sounds like I sampled it off a record, and that's just like really cool to me. So it has a lot, a lot of character. Um, and then a couple of outboard bits like um, SSL compressor and Focal speakers and um, something, a couple of uh, even tied effects and that kind of thing. And then I've got the sort of classic Rollins and my 808, and 808 is quite. Frankenstein at this point, which is fun, and I've got a Devilfish 303 and 909 and all that stuff, but I just kind of, they're kind of sleeping in the in the closet for a while. Um, and sometimes they're fun to pull out, and you, I've got this, um, the Interclock SyncGen Pro, which really keeps things in amazing sync, so they're they're a lot more fun to like plug in again, and, and you know it's going to like sync amazingly to what you're working on, which was kind of um, a problem for the last 10 years, I think, as computer MIDI just started to get a bit sloppier, and, and especially like MIDI clock. Um, and then to hear everything kind of line up the way it does with like an analog clock, is, is there's a whole different kind of crazy feeling to it, the way like things fit into a pocket and, and transients almost flam together, and not flam actually, the opposite, they just, they're right on the, on the mark, so. Um, Anyway, that's my exciting, my exciting studio development in the last few months. Uh, and you're still living in LA, correct? Yep. Um, obviously, the American landscape for dance music is changing pretty rapidly, especially in LA and the area around there. Um, has it affected you at all? Like, how are things different for you working as a DJ in the US now? Um, I don't know. Not not that different, to be honest with you. Um, I still kind of seem to work with people that are that are just kind of more generally interested in in kind of what I do and I don't I don't get picked up too much for the um the more mainstream stuff. I think at one point I 
I did that a little bit, and it just I just was very disappointing for everyone. <laughs> um, I thought it was fine, but you know, there's just a certain energy that's kind of expected there, and then you know you just kind of want to do what you do, and nobody wants to hear that. And so yeah, but I think um, it kind of comes and goes, and I think like the expansion of all the all the new the new stuff people are doing is is kind of gaining the attention of a lot of young people and I think once they want to kind of dig a little deeper they'll find like you know music that's you know I guess a bit more deeper experimental or or whatever so um, I think there's potential to, to grow in that respect.